MacCast, Sunday, December 11th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to have you back here with me for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in our little Apple and Mac community. How you doing? Hope you are having a wonderful time. It is the holiday season. I know that can get a little chaotic and a little hectic. Hopefully you get a moment to sit back and relax and just breathe and spend some time with your family. And that's kind of what I did this weekend. It was kind of nice doing some of those holiday things, getting out of all of the hustle and bustle for just a moment and just enjoying some time together. So hopefully you can do that. We did it uh, because it snowed here. And uh, that's a new thing for us being (laughs) ex-Californians. You know, you're not really used to that stuff. So we had a good time. We actually enjoyed it. Uh, A lot of people seem to get down about it in this area, but we're enjoying that time. And I hope you get some moments at least either now or uh, sometime during this holiday season to just kind of relax and spend time with family. So that's always nice. But uh, getting into things here in the MacCast studio, we have some news and uh, stuff to get into in uh, in Apple and, and Mac world. So we're going to talk about uh, Apple Silicon and uh, what's happening with uh, manufacturing. There's some updates there. We've been kind of alluding to that with some of the rumors that have been going on, but we have some confirmation now of what Apple's plans are. Uh, going to get into some global news, a few little items happening this week going to talk about an update to apple music and some other software updates some some icloud updates that i think are pretty exciting when it comes to security and privacy and then uh, we have some apple car news um some changes in direction maybe again i know that project's been going back and forth again still just a rumored project but man we get a lot of news around that one and uh we'll give you a new updated timeline and some costs and all that fun stuff. And then we're going to get into some feedback, um, have some questions about apps and want to talk a little bit about what happens when some of our favorite apps go away or really change hands and things kind of change. And we'll talk about that and give some recommendations to a listener for some alternatives for an app that, uh, it's not kind of meeting his needs anymore. And then we'll talk about some home automation stuff uh, related to the holidays and what you might want to do if you're going away for a little bit and some fun stuff you can do with your automation there. And then we'll continue our holiday gift guide. We have a recommendation from a listener this week for a cool product um, that you might be interested in. Might make, might make actually a good stocking stuffer for an Apple or Mac fan in your life. And that'll round out this week's episode of the MacCast. So let's just dive right into things. Start off by talking about Apple Silicon and Apple kind of diversifying that supply chain. As expected, Tim Cook appeared with President Biden this week at an event in Arizona to announce Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation's new plant uh, and actually the announcement of a second plant being uh, built and uh, continued investment in making chips 
in the United States. TSMC originally had a plan for a single manufacturing plant uh, that was going to produce four nanometer wafers, as you may remember, to start production in 2024. This is all happening in Arizona. The investment was originally estimated at $12 billion. They announced plans to expand with a second plant in Arizona with three nanometer capabilities. That site's supposed to come online in 2026, and that expands TSMC's total investment in the U.S. to $40 billion. At that event, Tim Cook did confirm that Apple will be a customer for the new facility and that TSMC would provide made-in-the-USA Apple Silicon to Apple. So that's good news. They didn't talk about a lot of the details, but estimates were going into the event that Apple would purchase up to a third of the facility's chip capabilities. So Apple's going to be a big customer of that plant, at least a third of the production. Uh, One point of confusion, though, still remains even after Tim Cook's statements, and that was what kind of chips is this facility going to be supplying for Apple? Because Tim Cook specifically said Apple Silicon, uh, and Apple already does purchase A-series and M-series processors from TSMC, but currently in 2022, they're buying 4 nanometer chips and are expected to start purchasing 3 nanometer chips in 2023. So those capabilities already exist at other facilities that TSMC has. And of course, technically, Apple calls their Mac processors Apple Silicon. That's when they added that branding and marketing. Now, we can assume at this point, I would think that A-series processors also qualify as Apple Silicon. I think it's more of an encompassing brand, probably for every kind of chip that Apple designs and then is manufactured for Apple. These U.S. facilities are going to be great. It's a great milestone for the diversification of the supply chain. It's great for the United States to have more manufacturing moving back into the U.S. But we have to be a little bit realistic about these plants as well. They're expected to have much lower capacity than other TSMC sites. So they're definitely not going to be able to supply a large number of chips for Apple, at least not initially. I mean, it's a good start. Don't get me wrong, but... Um, they are expected to produce about 600,000 wafers a year once they have both facilities, both factories up and running. Uh, in 2022, TSMC will produce an estimated 12 million wafers. So if you kind of do the math, even with today's numbers, and you would expect that TSMC is going to have more production capability in the next few years, the facilities in the U.S. are only going to account for probably less than 5% of the total global production of chips. And it's unclear because these facilities are going to be 4 nanometer in 2024 and 3 nanometer in 2026. So, you know, we're a few years out. Apple's already using that kind of technology. Question becomes, what kind of chips are they going to be producing for Apple? Because they're going to be behind in terms of the sophistication of those facilities. So the best guess at this point is that the facilities could provide Apple Silicon for older model uh, models of products that Apple continues to keep in the lineup. We know that, you know, they're still selling iPhone 12s today. They're still selling M1 uh, Max. And so we would expect that they would do that in the future. So you might still be able to, two years from now, be able to buy, say, an iPhone 14 or an M2-based Mac, and they could supply those chips. 
a lot of speculation in the community that that's what's going to be happening. I was kind of thinking, though, and I didn't see this mentioned anywhere, that Apple also uses A-series chips in uh, some of their products like HomePods or Apple TVs and things like that. So those tend to be older processors as well or less sophisticated, slightly less sophisticated processors, and they don't have near the volume of, say, iPhones or Macs. So it would possibly make sense that the U.S. facilities are going to be, be providing more of those style of chips. Regardless, really cool news and is confirmed now that Apple is going to be producing some of their silicon here in the United States. So that's pretty cool. The site, The Elect, is also reporting that Apple is working with an unknown South Korean component supplier for a 20.25-inch foldable OLED display. Not a lot of details here on what is going to be done with those displays, but the speculation, according to the report, is that they might be for a future notebook, possibly a tablet, but they seem to be leaning toward a MacBook Pro, so a redesign of the MacBook Pro. Don't expect it to be hitting store shelves anytime soon because they believe Apple could launch such a product in 2026 or 2027. I know, really, speculating that far out, I think, is a little bit iffy. At this point, when I hear numbers like that, I'm basically thinking that these are prototype products. Apple's just playing around with design ideas. They're looking at future technologies. They're seeing what capabilities they can push out of their manufacturers and really just kind of envisioning what future products might look like, which they do all the time. So I don't read too much into this. Things could change. Technologies can change a lot between 2022 and 2026. They could scrap the thing altogether. Who really knows? The same piece also says that Apple wants to replace the iPad mini with potentially a 10-inch foldable product. So is Apple going to get into foldables? I guess that's a conversation we could kind of have. Uh, We've had that a little bit already. Foldables, I think, haven't really taken off. But I think, again, it's the classic case of the technology and the sophistication of the technology needing to kind of catch up with companies like Apple and their design teams. So, you know, by 2026, we might have some really cool stuff in regards to foldables. We'll know a lot more about them. They'll probably have a lot more durability and... uh, We'll have to wait and see what Apple does. The piece does say that they don't think Apple will do a foldable iPhone. Although I would say never say never. You never really know. We know Apple has been playing around with foldable designs for phones as well. Whether it's an hinged design with two separate displays or an actual foldable display. You know... Time can reveal a lot of things. Let's just say that. But I'd be curious to get your take. Do you think Apple's going to jump into foldables at any point? Or are we going to move beyond that? You know, AR, VR is is coming. And a lot of people think that's going to be the next generation of communication. That's going to be the thing that actually just replaces our phones. So could Apple skip over that technology completely and move on to something else? I would be apt to say that I think phones are going to be with us for quite a while longer. But... I've been wrong before. I didn't think Apple was going to get into the phone business. You can go back and listen to episodes of the MacCast. I thought that was a little bit crazy, but here we are. So AR, VR, that might be the next thing that uh, your kids and my kids are into in terms of how they communicate. But we'll have to wait and see. And again, I'd love to get your opinion on any of this. Shoot me an email. Send me an audio comment. MacCast at gmail.com. 
Apple's self-repair program has gone global, finally. It was originally launched in the United States back in April. You may remember that. Apple has expanded their self-service repair program to eight more countries this week. Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Spain, Sweden, and the United Kingdom are all going to get access to self-repair parts. Uh, If you don't remember, this is the program where Apple makes parts and repair manuals as well as tools available to customers who want to do self-repairs of their devices. It continues to be somewhat limited in terms of what parts and what uh, devices you can actually repair yourself. Right now, it's the iPhone 12 models, iPhone 13 models, and the iPhone SE second generation. So we can't even do an iPhone 14 or 14 Pro yet. And also for Macs, it's limited to the M1 MacBook Airs and the M1 MacBook Pros, the 14-inch and the 16-inch. But at least it's a start. Apple says they're going to continue to expand the program. They don't seem to be doing it too quickly, but at least they're expanding into other countries, which is something that they did promise. Uh, The program is run by a a third-party company actually called Service Parts or Tools, Inc., Spot, and uh, you can access it from their website, Self-Service Repair Store, selfservicerepair.com. You can look at all the components and things that are available there. And then one more little bit of international news this week. The HomePod Mini has been expanded. You can now Get a HomePod Mini in Sweden, Norway, Finland, and South Africa. So Apple continues to roll out the HomePod Mini into more countries as well. Apple announced a new feature coming to Apple Music this week. It's called Apple Music Sing, and it kind of ties into Apple Music's lyrics functionality. This will allow you to adjust the vocal tracks on a song when viewing the lyrics in Apple Music so you can sing along with your song karaoke style. They're also going to roll out a whole series of playlists and things so that you can do duets and and all kinds of singing with your favorite artists and bands through Apple Music. Looks actually pretty cool, and it seems like it's coming as part of iOS 16.2, which is currently in beta testing. The Apple Music Sing feature will be available on compatible iPhones and iPads, as well as the new Apple TV 4K. What do they mean by compatible? It looks like for iPhones, you're going to need to have an iPhone 11 or newer model. Uh, For iPads, it's the iPad Pro 12-inch 5th generation or later, the iPad Pro 11-inch 3rd generation and later, the iPad Air 4th generation and later, the iPad 9th generation or later, and the iPad Mini 6th generation. And then for some odd reason, on the Apple TV, you need to have a new 2020 Apple TV 4K. So they must be doing something with the CPU, the processor, to enable this feature uh, and uh, that's why you need a little bit newer model devices and again that's expected to be out a little bit later this year apple is also expanding and this is pretty exciting iCloud end-to-end encryption to more of its services in a new thing they're calling advanced data protection. 
You'll now be able to get end-to-end encryption on your device backups, your message backups, your iCloud drive, notes, photo reminders, Safari bookmarks, Siri shortcuts, voice memos, and your wallet passes. So this is really great news. Um, Much more protection for our iCloud data. Once released, the only services basically that aren't going to be covered by end-to-end encryption for iCloud are going to be iCloud Mail, Contacts, and Calendars. The reason those aren't able to be covered, according to Apple, is that they need to be able to interoperate interoperate with global mail contact and calendar systems. So I assume this is things like the be the ability to be able to support, you know, CalDAV and SMTP and a lot of those other technologies, right? That's not just exclusive to Apple. They don't have that kind of end-to-end control over those communications. Apple says it's going to roll this feature out uh, globally in early 2023. So uh, we have a little bit of a wait for it to come, but it's nice to hear Apple is going to bring that feature. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Also along with this announcement, another little bit of good news is that Apple did announce that they're not going to move forward with their original plans to add CSAM detection to iCloud Photos. If you remember a while back when Apple announced they were going to do that, it caused a little bit of controversy with data and security and privacy experts. Apple says, quote, We have further decided not to move forward with our previously proposed CSAM detection tool for iCloud Photos. Children can be protected without companies combing through personal data, and we will continue to work with governments, child advocates, and other companies to help protect young people, preserve their right to privacy, and to make the internet a safer place for children and for us all. So I think that's a good call on Apple's part. Uh, They listened to the community. I think they listened to the critics and uh, have made the right decision here. Apple also made some pricing for apps and subscriptions updates on the App Store. They're making it a little bit more flexible for developers. They added additional price points and more increments for pricing. Uh, Now apps can go as low as $0.29 US or as high as $10,000. I know that seems crazy, but you have to remember that Apple has some corporate applications out there. So those can go for higher price points. And the highest price points do have to be approved by Apple. So it's not just something developers get right away. They can request those higher price points. Overall, there's apparently going to be 700 new price points for developers to choose from. uh, And also, developers will be able to choose pricing for their apps in their local currency and then allow current exchange rates and markets to adjust the pricing for other stores. Historically, they had to go price for each store. They can still do that. You can still go price manually if you wish, but to make things a little bit easier, you can just say, hey... I'm in Japan. I want to price my app for the Japanese market because that's where most of my customers are. And then for other regions, just go off of current exchange rates and and markets and uh, adjust for those areas, which I think is a nice little convenience. Currently, the new pricing is being made available for subscription-based apps. And then Apple says they're going to expand the pricing to all apps in the spring of 2023. 
And then finally, in the news for this week, we have some news surrounding Apple's rumored car project. According to Bloomberg, they're saying that the project has been scaled back a little bit and Apple is no longer going to be offering a fully self-driving vehicle. They also say there's a little bit of a delay. There was some speculation that Apple might have a car ready by 2025. Now it's sounding like it's going to be 2026. This is according to Mark Gurman. Apparently, Apple has decided that fully self-driving is not really feasible at this time, and the car is going to have guided driving features on the highway, uh, but not be fully autonomous all the time. It's still going to have a lot of Apple tech in it, though, according to the report, including dedicated Apple processors with AI functionality. Of course, all of the LiDAR and radar and cameras that you'd expect on a high-end electric vehicle of the future. Um, But what Apple is scrapping is this concept or idea that uh, the car would not have a traditional steering wheel or pedals. They were looking at a design we had been hearing for a while that was more like a limousine style where passengers could sit facing each other and you could have your entertainment and watch your movies and listen to music and and the car would fully drive itself. Well, it's looking like that was maybe a little bit ambitious even for 2026. Apple has pulled back. It's looking like it's going to be more of a traditional style vehicle, although they are saying that it's going to be fully autonomous for freeway driving. They're still targeting that, and you'll be able to watch your movies and relax while you're on the freeway, and then you'll get an alert as you near your exit and your destination. You'll have to then regain control when you take it back out on city streets. The report also claims that Apple is looking to debut at a price point now under $100,000 US. I guess at one point Apple had been targeting maybe $120,000. So this is definitely going to be a higher end luxury uh, vehicle, at least at launch. And I don't think that surprises anyone. Apple tends to go that route where they hit the higher end of the market and then eventually bring pricing down for the rest of us. So I don't think I'm going to have an Apple car in my future. It's a little bit rich for my blood, but I know there's a lot of people really looking forward to it. So uh, what do you think? Is it still appealing if Apple brings out a car that doesn't have full self-driving capabilities and costs around $100,000, something you'd be in the market for? Give me some feedback. Send me an email or an audio comment to maccast at gmail.com. But with that... That is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a moment and thank a couple of our show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. Hey, if you've listened to the show for a while, you might know that I am a pretty big fan of board games. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, We sit down as a family, break out a board game, something like Settlers of Catan or King of Tokyo, and uh, it's really great. But one game I really don't like to play is Hurry Up and Wait, especially when I'm sick, when I'm not feeling well, and we've all been there. You want to see a doctor, you go online, you try and book an appointment, or you call, and only to find out you're going to have to wait for weeks, maybe even months. It's incredibly frustrating. And that's why I use the ZocDoc app to find quality in-network doctors who can see me within days, not weeks. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, they have real verified patient reviews so you can find the right doctor for you, one that can actually see you 
in a timely manner. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun, whether you're looking to straighten those teeth, fix an achy back, get that mole checked out, or anything else, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. You just search, find, and book doctors within a few taps. You can find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments, so now when you walk into the doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com to find a doctor that's right for you, book an appointment in person or remotely, one that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast to download the ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top-rated doctor today, many available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MacCast, ZocDoc.com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to ZocDoc, for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Rocket Money. Hey, are you wasting money on subscriptions? Did you know 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about? Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app you can use that helps track all of your expenses And with it, you no longer will waste money on subscriptions that you don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you still don't want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription. That's happened to me. We've all been there. To cancel a subscription, they make it super easy. All you have to do is press the cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. You can get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash MacCast and seriously, you could save hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash MacCast. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash MacCast and a big thank you to Rocket Money for their support of the show. I received an email from James this week, and I thought this was a great topic for us to discuss because this happens from time to time in our community, and I don't think I've ever really talked about it on the MacCast too much. And here's what James had to say. He said, I'm having difficulties with PDF Pen on my Mac, iPad, and phone and wondering if it's a viable product after being sold to Nitro. I'm getting the impression that Smile just dumped it and that the acquiring company is not supporting in the form of upgrades and technical support. And I don't even know if we talked about uh, Smile selling PDF Pen. I think this happened a couple years ago. They decided to switch the focus and they focused solely on Text Expander, which is, as you know, one of my favorite apps, something that's essential on all of my Macs. I was also a huge fan of PDF Pen, and I thought it was a great app for editing and managing and just dealing with PDFs on the Mac. Well, Smile made the decision to focus on 
text expander and went in that direction. And as part of that, they sold off PDF Pen to this company called Nitro. Now, I'm going to say right up front, I don't know anything about Nitro. I don't know what's going on with PDF Pen. I had stopped using it when um, they got rid of it, when Smile got rid of it. So I have not been using PDF Pen lately. Uh, and this is the first time I've heard from anybody in our community that there's some difficulties with the transition over to Nitro. But James is obviously having problems with that and wondering about the future of the product and the future of the company. And what I really want to talk about is not PDF Pen on Nitro and whether it's good or not, because again, I really don't know. Maybe some of you in the community can talk about that a little bit more. But I wanted to talk about the broader topic of companies where we have a software company that has an app or a product that we just really, really love. And then for whatever reason, um, it gets sold to another company or changes hands and then things change a little bit. And it happens from time to time. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of our beloved apps and products, this can happen to. And almost always, I think what we need to understand, because a lot of times I think you get immediately angry or upset. And I, I think this is, I want to say this is something unique to the Apple Mac community, because I think we're such a tight, close-knit community that you get to know developers. Like, I know personally the owners and the developers of a lot of these applications and you get really close to them you get to know them over time and when they have to make tough business decisions for the future of their companies it can sometimes be hard for us to understand or see from you know a distance because we feel so close to it so a lot of times your favorite developer takes their app and decides hey I I just can't, I don't have the time or resources or for whatever business decision, they can't work on it anymore. And they work very hard to find new stewards for it. I think a lot of these transfers are done in very good faith. They think whoever they're selling it to or whoever it's transferring to is going to do it as good a job as they possibly can with that product and take it to the next level, whatever. Um, and it's easy for us to feel slighted or I think abandoned when the new owners maybe don't live up to our expectations or our standards for what we think the product should be. And a lot of times they might change direction of it. And I think that's one of the things that's possibly happened with Nitro. Like I said, I don't know Nitro as a company, but looking at it, it looks like they're trying to take the PDF pen product more upscale, probably more in to the business and enterprise market, focusing on that. Uh, and they're a little less concerned with maybe the consumer market. And I can understand some of the business decisions behind that because again, there's some alternatives and we'll talk about those here in a second to maybe help you out, James. There's some alternatives, I think, for those of us who are more in the consumer space when it comes to PDFs. But getting back to this this conversation about, you know, just sort of, sort of how it feels when our favorite software, or our favorite products get transferred to a new owner and then maybe things fall apart a little bit from our perspective. And I think another great example of this that we've talked about here on the MacCast is Drobo. 
I love my Drobos. I still use many of them, but the stewardship of what's happened with Drobo after it got sold to a new parent company has not been great. Uh, You can't get the product. A lot of this, though, was impacted by supply chain and another bunch of issues. We've had people in our community who've had a tough time with Drobo and struggled. It seems like maybe they're getting things back on track, but it's really unclear and uncertain. And many of us had have had to, you know, just make the tough decision that we need to move on to another, another product. We can't wait for this company to kind of sort things out and figure things out. And it's incredibly frustrating. And you feel like, I don't have any support. And like for me, I know I have these Drobos and eventually the software is just not going to work anymore because it's not getting updates. It's not getting the love that I think it should be getting. But again, a lot of times that's our own personal feelings and it's hard to kind of separate that business stuff from these feelings, right? Because we feel close to these products. We love these products. We love these companies. We love the people that make these things. And uh, change is just hard a lot of the time. So I kind of wanted to bring that up because I, I feel like, James, you're probably feeling that with uh, with PDF Pen. And I'm with you. You know, I loved that product. I think, unfortunately, now, though, with its new owner, it's not really the product for me. Now, luckily, again, we have this amazing community with a ton of great developers. And there are a ton of really good options out there available for us. I want to talk about a couple of them from my perspective, and I'm hoping I'm hoping by bringing this up, uh, there's others in the community that will talk about PDF editors that they know about. Um, the one that I chose to switch to and I really like is PDF Expert from Readle. It's about $80 US. So again, it's a little bit on the higher end. I think it has some more pro level capabilities. I'd put it more in line with a PDF Pen Pro or something like that. Um, But it is a great PDF editor that has a lot of the features that you're probably going to want and I think would be a good replacement for PDF Pen. Big fan of Riedel. I've used their product for products for years, and I think they're a again a really great company, a great contributor to the Apple and Mac community. Um, but I'll also say that you know, and again, I think this is one reason why a company like Nitro might choose to go more in the direction of enterprise customers is that Apple has done an amazing job uh, with Preview. You know, for free and built into your Mac, you can get a lot of features. You don't get PDF editing, but you can get a lot of features uh, for managing and working with PDFs built right into your Mac. So, you know, in preview, you can combine, extract, merge your PDF documents uh, with markup now. You have the ability to add in highlights, put annotations draw on your PDFs, put in markup. You can add signatures to your documents through preview for free. They've also added the ability to completely redact and remove text, including the underlying text. Um, You can encrypt and protect your PDFs with a password. So all of that stuff is built in completely for free inside preview. So I'm not sure, James, what additional features you might need, but my recommendation would be if if preview doesn't serve your needs, then maybe take a look at PDF Expert uh, or maybe, you know, Nitro and PDF Pen is still the product for you, but it sounds like uh, maybe it's not quite there 
anymore. And again, I don't really know anybody who has had any experiences with Nitro and the current PDF pen product. If you want to share your stories and your thoughts on that, uh, we welcome your feedback, maccast at gmail.com. And certainly if you have other alternatives for PDF pen uh, that are maybe a little more advanced than what you get in preview, we look forward to those recommendations as well, maccast at gmail.com. Calm. But I hope that helps you out, James, and, and thanks for bringing this topic up to uh, to the community. I really appreciate it. Something else we've been talking about a little bit lately is, uh, and this came up because of a recommendation I made, I needed to control some holiday lights, and I went out and got a product, and uh, it was a non-HomeKit product, but I'm using it to through uh, Apple Shortcuts, or Siri Shortcuts, rather, uh, to control my holiday lights. Well, Dan wrote in this week, and he says, hey, I'm actually going to be away for a little bit during the holidays, and I want to know, can I set up the lights in my house and my HomePods to trigger randomly while I'm away so that, you know, basically it looks like somebody's still at home. You don't get the uh, the wet bandit situation from like Home Alone where they scope out your house and they can tell that your lights are on a timer, right? We have more sophisticated technology now. So can we do things that are a little bit more sophisticated so that it's there's no pattern going on when uh, when things are happening? And unfortunately, Dan, as far as I know, I don't think there's a really simple way to completely trigger your lights and music on your HomePod randomly. Just have it happen randomly at, you know, random times and different zones and different areas and things like that. You may be able to set something up, say, with shortcuts, um, but it's probably going to be pretty involved and might involve a little bit of scripting or programming. I don't know how technical you are. Uh, I'm sure there's maybe some tutorials out there if you do a little bit of Googling that can show you how you might be able to set something like that up. But I'm thinking maybe you don't have to get quite that sophisticated. I'm thinking an easier method might be taking groups of lights and devices and then just breaking them into scenes. So setting up scenes for different areas and you could even do some crossover um, but set up three or four different scenes and then use different automations uh, controlled at different days and different times to trigger those different groupings. Now, it'll be a little bit of a complex setup. You're going to have to kind of go through it a little bit, but I think overall it would work. So in the home app, you can easily go in and add a scene. And with a scene, you can then add in different devices and different areas. So you could take some lights, say, from you know, from your living room and maybe one bedroom and a home pod that's in one area and put that into a scene and then kind of mix it up, mix and match. And then once you have all your scenes set up and named, I would name them, you know, with some things that make sense. So, you know, zone one, zone two, or whatever is going to make sense in your mind. And then you could add automations to that. So you could set up an automation and you could trigger those different scenes at different on different days and at different times to kind of set up that randomness. And yeah, ultimately there's going to be somewhat of a pattern, but if you mix it up enough, I have a have a feeling no one's really going to notice. And you could have some lights that come on at sunset, some that come on at specific times. You could have them going off at specific times. And I think overall that would work for you. As far as music, because I know you asked about playing music on HomePods as well, I know for HomePods, you can have them resume music or pause the current music. I don't 
know, and I kind of went in and I tried to find the capability. If any, And if anybody does know how to do this, I'd be curious. I didn't see a way to tell it, hey, I want to play th- this playlist or this song at this time. I couldn't see any way to really get that specific. I could just see that I could, hey, have my HomePod start playing at this time, have it pause at that time. And uh, so you would probably need to set some of that up in advance. So start playing a playlist on your HomePod, tell it to pause before you leave, and then you could have your scene and your automations turn that on and off at various times. So that would be one way to go. I guess the other option would be you could just do it manually, right? You could just make it a habit that before you go to bed at night, wherever you are, you just remotely manually trigger things. And uh, this would, of course, assume that you have an Apple TV or a HomePod in the house serving as a home hub, but you could add that to the mix. So you might even be able to do a combination of both, right? Kind of set up this pseudo-random scene automation thing and then mix into that just some manual times throughout the day when you think about it. Oh, hey, go turn this light on, turn that HomePod on, and add that randomness into it as well. So little combo. But there might be someone who's smarter than me out in our community that knows how to do it totally randomly and totally automated. Maybe there's a third-party app that can do it and tie into your, uh, your HomeKit devices. If you are that person and you know about that, please share that with us in the community, mattcast at gmail.com. And then the last thing that I have for you this week is a holiday gift recommendation. This one comes from listener Jim, and uh, this is a great one if you are a fan of the Apple TV but maybe not a fan of the Siri remote. Now, I personally like Apple's current Siri remote. I think it's great. It works really well for me, but there's a lot of folks in our community who think it's lacking, especially in the area of physical buttons and physical controls. So Jim's recommendation is the Function 101 button remote, and it's just $29 US. So that's another complaint about the Siri remote is that it's expensive. So if you need just a replacement or a second remote or an alternate alternative, this might be a good option as well. And it's a great remote that is compatible out of the box with the Apple TV. And it has buttons galore. It has all kinds of buttons, volume, up, down buttons, uh, directional buttons, uh, and uh, power button, all the buttons that you could possibly want. And you can also sync it with your TV set. So it is a universal remote. So you can have a single remote, which is kind of nice. Uh, it's not super sophisticated. So if you're looking for a remote that has a lot of advanced features, I don't think this is the remote for that. But this is a nice, I think, intermediate remote between the Siri remote and uh a uh, a full functioning like automated remote you know one of those big complex <laughs> what they used to have those harmony remotes i don't think those are around anymore are they i don't i don't remember people don't talk about them much anymore but regardless uh looks like a cool little remote uh there are a couple of limitations to be aware of you know it is just 30 bucks us so pretty good deal but there is no Siri button on it, so you can't activate a Siri from it, and it is infrared only, so you need to have line of sight to your Apple TV, unlike the Siri remote, which can work over Wi-Fi. So you can kind of, if you're like me, have your Apple TV hidden behind your television set. Uh, with this remote, you are going to need to have line of sight access to the infrared. But again, 
really affordable, great option. I think it would make a great stocking stuffer for a lot of people. So Jim, thank you for sending in that recommendation. Of course, as always, I will have links to it in the show notes at matcast.com, but it is the Function 101 remote from uh, Button Remote from Function 101. And as a matter of fact, this is the same company. I'll kind of throw in a bonus recommendation here for something. I don't own this product, but I've thought about ordering it many times and I think it's really, really cool. Um, They have these bent, what they call bento box organizers, little plastic organizers for all of your cables and things like that that can kind of stack up and uh, go together like a little bento box, if you know what that is. Those are the little uh, meal boxes that are popular in Pacific Northwest. I think they originated from Japan or somewhere like that. And um, these are really cool, just little cable organizers, little boxes that you can get to store your stuff in, throw in your bag when you're traveling and, and things like that. So check those out while you're there as well. I think those would be another great holiday gift for a lot of people. And if you're a fan of those, let us know about it. But with that... That is going to do it for the episode for this week. Before I leave you, a couple of our show supporters to thank. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find it on the website. That's at maccast.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the maccast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. That is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. 